It was foretold that you would be here. Our long-awaited meeting has come at last. I'm glad I gave you something to look forward to. We need not be adversaries. The Emperor will show you mercy if you tell me where the remaining Jedi can be found. There are no Jedi. You and your Inquisitors have seen to that. Perhaps this child will confess what you will not. I was beginning to believe I knew who you were behind that mask. But it's impossible. My master could never be as vile as you. Anakin Skywalker was weak. I destroyed him. Then I will avenge his death. Revenge is not the Jedi way. I am no Jedi. Remember, my dear Obi-Wan. I've loved you always. I always will. <sighs> Look what has become of you. A rat in the desert. Look what I have risen above. I have come to kill you, but perhaps it's worse to leave you here, festering in your squalor. If you define yourself by your power to take life, the desire to dominate, to possess, then you have nothing. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 460, your top animated moments. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Kanan Jarrus and Ahsoka Tano to my Obi-Wan Kenobi, we've got Carl LeClaire and Emily Pelletier. Hello, Jason. Hey, guys. <laughs> oh, my goodness. It's, it's the person who's not a Jedi, a person who doesn't know if he's a Jedi, and someone who definitely knows he's a jedi <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> oh my goodness um emily i'm so glad you came back to to bracket our this is madness tournament as we're coming to a close and uh super excited to talk about we are you know as of today as our recording we we have our top four moments up that p- people are currently voting on it's 
one of the matchups is very close. The other one is pulling ahead quite quickly. Um, but uh, we're here to talk about the, the moments you all voted for. So we will be looking at the death of Satine from the Clone Wars, the twin sons duel between Maul and Kenobi from Rebels, the Maul, or excuse me, the Vader and Ahsoka duel from Rebels, and Kanan's sacrifice, also from Rebels. Uh, Jason, Emily, that's a lot of Rebels. Out of these four moments, yeah. three of them are Rebels. What are your What were your thoughts on that? I am so happy that three of the four are Rebels moments. I love Rebels so much. <laughs> these are all fantastic moments from the show. And I am so happy that the uh, Star Wars fans who participated in this is Bandis this year agreed with me. <laughs> um, I, I was a little bit surprised, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I'm honestly surprised that the uh, at least the Palpatine Maul Savage duel from um, from Clone Wars didn't make it further. That was the one that I thought was going to get into the final four, and it didn't. Um, but uh, I, I I figured a couple of these moments were going to be here in the final four. Uh, what it seems to me is that the most impactful moments are heavily weighted in Rebels, hmm. even though I like Clone Wars as a show better. So um, I can't totally uh, argue with the way the top four ended up because there's some fantastic stuff in here. Yeah. Uh, but it is something that going, at least initially from the beginning, I expected it to be a little more even in terms of Clone Wars to Rebels. Uh, but that didn't happen. Yeah, no, J- you know, Jason, you and I were messaging together last night and, you know, kind of said like, wow, I can't, can't believe that it's it's predominantly Rebels. And it was even predominantly Rebels even in the in the Elite Eight. Um, by Sweet 16, Clone Wars was getting chiseled out pretty quickly. Um, and you know, I'm, I'm with you, Jason. I, I still prefer clone wars, um, slightly to rebels. Um, but I do think rebels has just so many big iconic moments in a way that clone wars just doesn't, um, you know, uh, so for anybody that follows us on social media, you've probably noticed I've been doing a clone wars rewatch. I just started season four tonight. Um, and rebels. Yep. Thank you. Thank you again. <laughs> I always say things wrong. But I've been doing a Rebels rewatch, which I have never actually done. Like I watched that show as it came out and I rewatched seasons one and two once each. But that's it. Um, I just finished season three, started season four. I, I mean, I've done a complete 180. I've always been somewhat critical of the show. I'm like, eh, it's fine. I, I'm so wrong. It is such a great show. Um, and we were talking, I'm not saying I told you so, but I told you so (laughs) a lot of people told me so, and they were right. Um, so, you know, the three of us were talking before we hit record. And, uh, I think my, my only critique of rebels is I think seasons one and two are the best. Uh, cause what I love about rebels is that it's, it's a consistent narrative of a family, right? It's the story of the ghost crew. So in seasons three and then in four as they start to kind of splinter because they're part of this grander rebellion, um, I become a little less interested. And that's not to say that it, the show gets bad. It's just they're there. I mean, they're together for pretty much everything in seasons one and two. And, and, and I love their dynamic as a crew so much that as they start to splinter in seasons three and four to do their own thing my my level of love for it just uh is different um but it is such a good show i mean every member of the ghost crew is such an iconic star wars character 
Here's a question. Okay. Do you think Rebels would be as impactful in some of these iconic moments if it didn't have Clone Wars to build off of? Obviously not. <laughs> uh, I would mm. say that's so true of, of you know, all three of the Clone Wars, or excuse me, all, well, two of the three Rebels moments, the Kanan, the Kanan sacrifice, I think, stands on its own. I mean, Kanan is a, is a, a Rebels yeah. original. But yeah, the, the Twin Suns moment wouldn't mean anything without Clone Wars. And same with Ahsoka versus Vader. That wouldn't mean anything without Clone Wars. So yeah, I think... Um, a lot of its highest points stands on the shoulders of Clone Wars. And that's not to take the credit away from it, um, but just more so yeah. those moments couldn't exist without Clone Wars, right? Ahsoka wouldn't exist without Clone Wars. Um, Maul coming back wouldn't exist without Clone Wars. So, yeah, I mean, I, that, I, that's what I would say. I, what do you think, Emily? Because you're, you're more Rebels camp. So what do you think? Uh, I think it could. So aside from the moments that we have on the list, mm-hmm. like Carl said, with the exception of Kane and sacrifice, these are all related to Clone Wars moments with Maul and Ahsoka. But a lot of the heart of Rebels is in the Ghost Crew, and the Ghost Crew did not come from Clone Wars, for the most part. There's Kanan is technically a Jedi. He lived through Order sixty six, but we didn't have to see Order sixty six for Kanan to be a Jedi. That's more Episode three. So I do think that Rebels could exist without Clone Wars having existed before and still have a lot of incredibly impactful moments. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I I think we're just, you know, of the ones that we're going to be talking about for the episode, I think two of those three moments definitely stand on the shoulders of Clone Wars. Um, But yeah, I think Rebels could, in some ways, I think Rebels could even be better if it ignored some of Clone Wars. Um, The but. I think that's that's a question for another episode. <laughs> that's true. Um, that's true. Sorry, I'm just throwing little things out yeah, there. No, I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but what about you? What do you think, Jason? Um, I, I definitely think some of the high high points, um, like you know, two of the ones that we have on our top four here, couldn't have been reached without Clone Wars. But I do totally agree that the core of it with the the Ghost Crew. It would have been a great show anyways. And, you know, uh, we probably could have built up to a Kanan sacrifice moment without Clone Wars. Uh, but some of the, the really iconic things build. And they, they're iconic because it's the climax to a certain story, to a certain character arc that we've been following and invested in for years, even before Clone Wars or uh, Rebels started in, in some cases. So... Uh, it's funny because it's all connected, <laughs> obviously, and obviously because it's the same universe, but it's very closely connected, um, in terms of, of, you know, storytelling, I think so. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, well, let's, let's get into these moments. So, uh, I, I should have been clear about this right at the top of the episode in case anyone's somewhat new to the show and doesn't know what the heck we're talking about. Uh, every year in March, we've been doing a tournament called this is madness where we do, uh, we started by doing character matchups and then last year, and then this year we've picked top moments from star Wars. So last year we did movie moments this year, we're doing all the animated shows. So we did bad batch, uh, rebels, clone wars and resistance, 
Obviously, Resistance got zero love. <laughs> um, Bad Batch got a tiny bit of love. And then, obviously, it was Rebels and Clone Wars that dominated, which makes sense. They are the longest running of those of those shows. Um, so, as of today, we, you know, we're up to our top four. So, we, we're going to talk about the moments that you all voted on that, that got into the top four. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they're all incredibly iconic. And the first one we're going to look at is... Uh, Wow, which one did I say? <laughs> um, oh yeah, the it does death- chronologically, Carl. <laughs> it does it it's for the most part. Um, yeah, I think they do. A little actually. bit gets weird, yeah. but um, so the the one Clone Wars moment we have in the top four um, is the death of Satine, right? So this is from season five of Clone Wars. The episode is. Oh, I don't think it's lawless. The lawless. It's the it is the lawless. Okay. Yeah, yep. I watched Man, it last night because um, I know Rebels, so I didn't really have to like go rewatch the episodes to make up my notes for uh, the Rebels moments. But I haven't genuinely haven't watched this scene since I watched Clone Wars through the first time. Uh, so I had to go back and watch the episode last night. Man, Lawless has so much stuff in it because that also has the. That's a packed episode. It really is. It's it's impressive yeah. how these animated shows at typically twenty two minutes can often pack in so much. <laughs> so it's it's insane. Yeah. Um but anyway, this this moment, right, it clearly folks really love it. I love I love that pretty much all four of these scenes are for the most part emotionally driven, right? I mean, yes, we have two duels in here, but even these duels are emotionally driven. Um so again, just clear evidence that the fact that for for naysayers of animated Star Wars, um, thinking that it's not quality Star Wars, I just don't think they could be any more wrong. Um, animated Star Wars has some of the best moments in Star Wars, I would argue, um, and these and these particular ones are are are, are evidence of that. So Satine, of course, uh, we talked a bit about her and this scene last week when we had Greg on, Jason, um, and its impact specifically on Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, but Emily, we'll start with you since since you kind of just rewatched it recently. What what stood out to you from this scene? How much is driven It's the death of Satine, but how much this scene is driven by Maul? Because this whole thing is a standoff between Obi-Wan and Maul, and Satine's kind of this pawn stuck in the middle. Um, And how much Maul gets Obi-Wan's motivations wrong. Because his whole motivation in taking over Mandalore um, and killing Satine, other than like trying to get Palpatine's attention so he can get back to being Palpatine's apprentice, he wants to tear Obi-Wan apart in the same way that Obi-Wan defeating him tore all of them. But he gets Obi-Wan's motivations wrong. And I don't think, and I, I don't say this because I don't think that Obi-Wan doesn't care about Satine, um, but because Obi-Wan, his identity is tied more towards being a Jedi than it is towards Satine. So yes, killing Satine hurts Obi-Wan. We see that. But it doesn't hurt Obi-Wan in the way that Maul intended it to. That's a great point. That's a really good point. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, so it's 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 always interesting to talk about Maul 
and and not be thinking of our friend Katie Horn, um, who of course mm-hmm. loves Maul. Um, but uh, I can't help but I just I have nothing but critiques of Maul in this scene, and, and critiques in 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 the sense of his character, right? Like he is so juvenile. Um, you know his his sense of what we might call justice. For for Maul, justice equals revenge, right? It's the same thing. Yeah. There is no justice that isn't rooted in revenge. And and that is the that is the opinion of a juvenile. Um, right? You took my toy, so I'm gonna take yours, right? <laughs> like you you yeah. you hurt me, so I'm gonna hurt you back. I mean, that's what children do. And Maul is a child. Right. Um and, and I don't say that condemningly, but just overtly. And I and I think you're absolutely right, Emily, right? He doesn't get he just doesn't get Obi-Wan. And I love in that scene how it even and even Obi-Wan, while while Maul is somewhat the driver of it, Obi-Wan is 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 that perfect Jedi again in the sense of uh, the first thing he kind of offers Maul is a sense of compassion and empathy or just, when he states like, I know where you come from. I've seen your village. I know that this decision was not yours. Right. So uh, a reminder that Maul has always been a victim. And and Obi-Wan recognizes that and almost seems to have compassion for him. But at the same time, he stands there with his conviction of like, I know you think the dark side makes you strong, but it actually takes real strength to resist it. Um, and that's the one thing Maul just he doesn't doesn't see it that way. No Sith does. Right. But to resist those dark urges. And I think that's a very human thing. Right. Like it, it's very easy to become angry and lash out. Um, but those knee jerk reactions are usually the worst thing to do. And, and Obi-Wan understands that as a Jedi, he's mastered that side of himself. Um, so even though Maul exacts his understanding of revenge, um, you know, it of course breaks Obi-Wan's heart. And uh, this piece of music, for instance, on the soundtrack is called Maul Breaks Obi-Wan, um, which I actually think is a poor title because I don't think he does break Obi-Wan. Um, I think he hurts him for sure, but he definitely doesn't break him. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's so sad. And, you know, something uh, Greg talked a lot about last week is how, how important duty is to the person of, of Obi-Wan. And, and we talked in this moment how that's also true for Satine. So as Satine dies, she again confesses to Obi-Wan that she's always loved him. And yet they never entered into a dedicated relationship because of the fact that their duty to their people, to, to their, their creeds, to their way of life, trumped their own personal desires. Um, whether that's a good or a bad thing, I think, again, is a, is a topic for maybe a different day. But um, at the end of the day, they committed themselves to something totally selfless. Um, and 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 we see a cost of that as Satine dies. Um so what do you, what do you think, Jason? What what are your thoughts on this moment? Uh, it's a it's a great moment, and uh, for many of the reasons that you guys uh, said, one of the things I do want to highlight from this is uh, honestly the the nonverbal acting mm. that Obi Wan does in in this whole scene in the the dialogue between him and Maul. He goes there, there's such a range of emotions that he goes through and you can see him processing. He goes from frustrated uh, to, you know, trying to control himself, center himself. And then he starts uh, threatening Satine again and his his temper comes up and then he manages to get it under control again until finally, you know, he realizes that uh, Satine is going to die. And then he tries, you know, 
to stop it. And when he can't, it's just the expression on Obi-Wan's face is, is heartbreaking. Um, it's, it's really good because it, you're able to, to see the train of thought going on in Obi-Wan as he tries to number one, uh, find a way to, to stand his ground as a Jedi uh, to try and reach out to Maul, you know, you, like you said, offer that compassion. Uh, you see him essentially prepare himself for death. He's accepted it, you know, but then he realizes the death being planned is not his own. And that's what, what hurts him, you know, obviously when, when Satine falls and uh, I do find it, interesting that when she's laying there in his arms dying and she says, Oh, I loved you always. Um, he doesn't respond. He doesn't answer her. And it doesn't seem like she expects him to either. You know, uh, this isn't a, I love you. I know situation. This Mm. is, this is something very different for the two of them. She, you know, she would not have told him this if she, wasn't dying. This is like, you know, I, I have to tell you this because I'm never going to be able to tell you it again. Um, but she doesn't need his, him to reciprocate that because that's not their relationship. Um, and she knows he still has his duty and doesn't expect that of him. Um, and I love the fact that Maul just seethes in victory like he seems like he's mm. he is on top of the world he's like this is what victory should be and then immediately it's undercut like it's not really a victory it's very hollow because obi-wan moves you know not moves on but he's able to move forward uh and then of course palpatine shows up like two scenes later and cuts <laughs> him down to size so um but but maul in that moment is like, ah, this is the victory that I wanted. But that lasts almost no time at all. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, well, and, and I think like, I think it's, I'm so glad Jason, that you brought up the fact that the animation is so good in this scene. Um, and, you know, just like you said, the expression on his face and the expression even on Satine's face. Um, mm-hmm. And then just the way he, he, you know, he holds her as, as she's as she's dies um, is just heartbreakingly beautiful. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I made this comment last week on the show, but I love the theme song for Pad or excuse me for Satine and Obi-Wan. It has a bit of a, a melancholy feeling to it, even in their even in their theme. Um, because I think that's just the reality of it is, is they clearly did fall in love at some point in their life and, and yet just chose something else. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I, I know there, there are probably a lot of naysayers that are like, they should have been allowed to be together. And I'm not, I, I, I'm not saying that that's the wrong opinion, but I think they both wanted to commit themselves to something more that didn't allow them to be together. So I, I think I think the the question of should they have been should they not have been isn't isn't quite the right question 
if that makes sense. Like to me, it's like they gave themselves to something more that just precluded them from being together. Um, so I don't know. And, and something I was thinking about this morning with this scene is, is just kind of giving it the analogy to like a superhero, right? The reason a superhero often wears a mask is because they want to protect the people they care about. Well, Jedi are very prominent people in the galaxy and probably make a lot of enemies as a result. So probably the less um, personal connections they have, the less people are at threat in a way. Um, and maybe that's a bit of a stretch to say, but uh, I don't know. I was just I was just bouncing that idea around in my head earlier. Um, but Emily, I know you were going to say something. Yeah, um, spinning off what you're saying about Obi-Wan as a teen's relationship, I think there was a point where they were deeply in love or whatever, and that all happened before Star Wars as we know it started. Um, but, you know, like I said, I watched the whole episode last night, and a few scenes before this, when Obi-Wan is breaking Satine out of her cell, Satine goes and hugs Obi-Wan. And Obi-Wan, like, pulls back and gets this look on his face, like, what? Like, I wasn't expecting this. <laughs> and I don't want to say that, like, you know, Obi-Wan's reacting like that because he's like, you know, why You know, why are you doing this? Like, he knows that Satine still has feelings for him, but he's like, the way that he reacted almost read to me is like, you still have feelings that I don't. Mm-hmm. And like I said earlier, I don't think that Obi-Wan, like, doesn't care about Satine at all. I think it's very clear that Obi-Wan still deeply cares about her. But he doesn't, I don't think Obi-Wan loves her in the same way that Satine loves Obi-Wan. And that's fine. That happens as two people are apart for, you know, however many years it's been in between Satine and Obi-Wan's initial relationship. Um, But yeah, I I found that particular scene very interesting leading into the death of Satine. Because it Mm -hmm. does very clearly, Satine's death does very clearly affect Obi-Wan. But not in the way that had the roles been reversed, I think Obi-Wan's death could have affected Satine. Hmm. Interesting. That's a fair point. Yeah. That's a fair point. You know, uh, you know, Obi-Wan has since the time that they spent together, uh, you know, become not only a Jedi Knight, but a Jedi master. Uh, and perhaps it's because of how close he got with Satine and the fact that they had to stop that that he is so uh, devoted to the rules and the letter of the law when we meet him in the Phantom Menace. So maybe that was his way of coping um, and, you know, processing all of that. So, you know, he's not moved on from Satine, but he has moved past what kind of love they could have had. And yeah. he has not allowed himself to even consider the possibility that that love could be rekindled in any sort of way. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Um, well, let, let's go to our, our first uh, first of three Rebels moments and continue the, the Obi-Wan mall trope, which, of course, is the Twin Suns episode in Rebels. Uh the season three of rebels. I don't remember the episode number. doesn't really matter, but it's called twin sons. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, it's finally the end of their story. Um, Jason, what's your, what's your yeah. read on this scene? Oh man. It, it's technically a duel because they clash swords, mm-hmm. um, but it's not really a duel uh, in the traditional sense. Um, it is, 
it is two opposing forces that have met each other on the field of battle many, many times, finally coming to the end. Uh, it is the duel of the fates, if you will. Uh, and I, I think, you know, Maul obviously is coming into this situation completely destroyed. Like he is broken. He doesn't have a purpose anymore. The only thing he can think of to do is to find Obi-Wan and finally kill him because that's the only thing he thinks uh, will make him feel better, will give him any sort of solace. Um, and I think he arrives on Tatooine expecting to find Obi-Wan in the same problem, in the same emotional state. And obviously that is that is not the case. Um because Obi-Wan is right where he needs to be, and he seems to have accepted it. And after sending Ezra on his way, you know, Maul is able to suss out Obi-Wan's purpose. Uh, and it's only then that Obi-Wan ignites his saber. You know, you're mm-hmm. here, you're you're here for something. No, for someone. And that's when Obi-Wan ignites his saber. Mm. And it's, it is in defense of Luke and the future that Obi-Wan finally takes up his sword again, uh, which makes me wonder, uh, you know, how that's all going to play out with the Kenobi series in a couple months. Um, but, uh, <laughs> But yeah, and then, of course, you know, people have talked the whole confrontation to death, the the actual, like, combat, uh, because it is mind games. Obi-Wan, you know, emulates Qui-Gon in order to throw Maul off his game and takes advantage of it and ends the duel like that. Um, but yeah, and then he finally is able to put Maul at rest. And it's interesting because these two have been bitter enemies and including the moment where Maul killed someone incredibly dear to Obi-Wan that we just talked about. And yet Obi-Wan seems to feel very sad as he, he's able to put Maul to rest, which is something that, you know, is not necessarily something I expected, but also something that feels incredibly right for Obi-Wan. So. Hmm. Uh, what, what do you think, Emily? Obi-Wan's an incredibly compassionate character, and we know that he already has some amount of compassion for Maul. We talked about that a little bit with the death of Satine scene, and that's why I think he feels so deeply for Maul's death as well, is he knows how everything that Maul's been through in his life, because their lives have been so closely intertwined. He knows a lot of what Maul has been through. And so he feels very deeply for Maul that if some circumstances had been changed ever so slightly, Maul's life could have been incredibly different. Um, The bit that stands out to me, Maul's dying words are... He will avenge 
us. Now, we know that Maul, the chosen prophecy, means bring balance to the force, so I'm assuming that Maul believes that means that the chosen one is going to defeat Palpatine, and Maul wants that. But why does Maul care if the chosen one avenges Obi-Wan? That's weird to me. Or maybe not weird. That's what's, you know, tickling the back of my mind, and I'm like, why? I mean, my my thought would be is because he think he also knows that Palpatine destroyed everything Obi Wan cares about too. Um, you know, yeah. he, he destroyed Maul's life and he also destroyed Obi Wan's by destroying the Jedi um, and and the Republic. Um, so, I think that us is, yeah. I mean, I I think he feels a kinship with Obi Wan in a weird way, um, and even though he went there to kill him, uh. I think he understands that um, the the author of all their pain is Palpatine. And Maul knows he can't take on Palpatine. He knows he can't even take Vader. Um, so, you know, the, some little bit of, you know, as you were saying, Jason, I think his his quest here is just to hopefully get some sense of wholeness by killing Obi-Wan. Um, and he can't even do that. <laughs> Um, so his only hope then is that the author of all of the galaxy's pain will be destroyed by the chosen one. Um, so I think in this weird way, it it took, it took being struck down by Obi-Wan, a totally new version of Obi-Wan to make Maul's finally, his eyes finally opened to some degree that shoot, maybe I'd got it wrong. (laughs) Um, it's kind of my read and I could be wrong. Um, but, you know, again, like the same kind of point I made with the moment with Satine is Maul goes here with and, and we've been hearing this ever since the episode came out five years ago. Sam Witwer is very adamant about this. Maul has not changed. He is the same character from the Clone Wars into Rebels um, in the sense that all he cares about is vengeance. And even his dying words are for vengeance. Um so, yeah, I mean, Maul shows up here as the same character and Obi-Wan immediately pities him. Um, and I, I I don't think Obi-Wan, I mean, he says, like, I don't want to, I don't remember the words verbatim, but like he doesn't want to fight Maul. Um, but and like you said, Jason, he's not drawn into the fight until Luke is essentially threatened. Obviously not specifically Maul doesn't know who the heck Luke is or who the heck the chosen one is and where he is on Tatooine. But as soon as he even poses any bit of a threat, that's what causes Obi-Wan to spring into action. Um, and, uh, you know, like this is a great episode. It's, it's, it's not one of my favorites in all of animated star Wars. I'm sure, I'm sure I'm in the minority on that. Um, I mean, the duel is very short. Uh, I think it makes tremendous sense. They were they were mimicking one of the samurai battles from one of the Kurosawa films. I don't remember which one, but right, like a true swords master doesn't have a long, flashy fight like Duel of the Fates. It's actually going to be very quick, like this, if you're a gifted swords person. Um, so it makes sense, and I and I love it because it shows the growth that Obi Wan has had. And what I was thinking on most while rewatching the epi- while rewatching this today is. Watching Obi-Wan as they, as they kind of start to slowly circle the little fire that he has going. I mean, Maul is literally a caged animal just waiting to be let off the leash. Whereas Obi-Wan, 
uh, all that kept coming to mind was peace and purpose. Like that, that closing line Ray says about Luke in Last Jedi, right? He, he went out with peace and purpose. Obi-Wan is here at peace with purpose. Um, and uh, yeah, I, it, as soon as his purpose is threatened, he's going to defend that purpose. Um, and, and that's why he, he, he ignites the blade. Um, and, and I think this will be an interesting point is in, in, in so far as the Kenobi series goes, right? Like you and McGregor has said, the series starts with a very dejected, hopeless Obi-Wan. Um, but the Obi-Wan we meet in rebels is certainly not dejected and hopeless at all. So he, he clearly comes around and also just side note, I'm really glad that they're not putting Maul into the Obi-Wan series. That, that story has been wrapped. We don't need it in live action. And I get fan people, I get fans wanting it, but just cause you want it doesn't mean it fits. <laughs> so we don't um, need fan service in everything. We don't need fan service purely for man fan service. That's the thing. We're already going to get some fan service in the show as it is. I mean, we're getting Hayden Christensen as Darth Vader. Right. Again. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're, we're already getting some stuff. Uh, we don't need to add everything else on top of it. You know, you can have just cake or ice cream. You don't need to have both every time. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, with fudge sauce and sprinkles. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, one last thing I will I do want to say is that I do find it interesting that at the end, Maul references a Jedi prophecy about the chosen one. Hmm. You know, the chosen one is not a, just a general force prophecy. It's a Jedi prophecy from what we understand. If I remember correctly from master and apprentice. Um, and it seems like in his wanderings and desperation to find Obi-Wan, Maul has delved into all sorts of things, you know, enough to know that the chosen one is a thing and that perhaps Obi-Wan might've found him now, uh, after he comes to this conclusion in the desert, um, his understanding of it is completely warped and, uh, you know, obviously not accurate in any way, but Obi-Wan doesn't really, you know, correct him in that. Uh, well, and I hesitate to say that Maul, died at peace because he didn't he died at rest he finally was put to rest mm -hmm. i don't think maul ever could find peace though no i just yeah no I, I agree with that for sure um and and i and i think uh i mean this is a conversation people have been having for five years but i do think obi-wan genuinely believes luke is the new chosen one right i think for Obi-Wan, the notion of the chosen one is something fluid. It is not only Anakin Skywalker in the eyes of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, so, right. Cause like when that episode came out five years ago, people were like, wait, what is he talking about? No, it's even, you know, even George has said it's only Anakin. And it's like, even if that's true, even if it is just Anakin, according to the prophecy, Obi-Wan chooses to see it in his own point of view. <laughs> so he sees the prophet, the prophecy in a fluid sensibility. So, for Obi-Wan, Luke is the chosen one now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, because Obi-Wan doesn't have a bird's eye view of the galaxy. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He just knows that Anakin was supposed to be the chosen one. Anakin fell to the dark side and destroyed everything. But he still has Luke. But Obi-Wan still has Luke. And... If Obi-Wan can train Luke as he grows up, then maybe Obi-Wan, then maybe Luke can go and 
be the chosen one and do what Anakin did or was supposed to do. Um, you know, I think that's how Obi-Wan views it because there is nothing in the prophecy that says, you know, the chosen one will bring balance to the force. And by the way, the chosen one is a kid named Anakin Skywalker. These <laughs> things end up being fluid in their interpretation. Like I am, I, I, obviously we have, you know, no canon evidence of this, but I wonder if there were like other points throughout Jedi history, depending on like when they got this chosen one prophecy that, you know, some of the council members were like, oh, maybe he's the chosen one. Maybe she's the chosen one. You know, like, if there have been other powerful Jedi that have popped up, they've been like, oh, I wonder if this could be it. The thing about prophecy is that it's only confirmed after the fact. <laughs> you, you can't say, yes, I am fulfilling the prophecy right now, because then you claim something uh, that may not be is quite... Is fate laughs at you? Exactly, because then fate <laughs>, laughs at you. Um, and and the prophecy ends up being fulfilled by Anakin, technically. You know, you know, he's the one that fell to the dark side, uh, but he came back. And he did bring balance to the Force by eliminating Palpatine at the end of Return of the Jedi. So Luke then walked that out afterwards because Anakin also died. But Obi-Wan doesn't know that. To his mind, Anakin's dead. It's just Darth Vader. Anakin does not exist anymore. So Anakin can't be the chosen one anymore. Because he's dead. That's what yeah. Obi-Wan believes. Yeah. Yeah. And I just I guess my, my final thought on, on this particular scene though too is this uh and just like the next one we're about to talk about, you know, this this moment in Rebels does literally stand on the shoulders of Clone Wars because that's where Maul comes back. And when you think about when Maul comes back in Clone Wars, what what is driving him? Killing Obi-Wan, right? <laughs> you know, so it's crazy that all these years later, that's his his arc kind of comes full circle. And, and you know, uh, I think Maul, the way he's used is he is kind of a cautionary tale character in the sense of if all you live for is vengeance, you're going to die empty. Um you know, like or die without peace, as you said, Jason, I think is, is very accurate. Um, so I think it was it was really amazing because, right, like before Rebels came out, Clone Wars was just abruptly ended. Right. Like we didn't get that final season until after Rebels was was done um, and Maul was just kind of left hanging. And, you know, so then to get him in Rebels and ultimately his his character arc even here, like what is driving him when we meet him in Rebels? Well, he's on this the Sith Ward Malachor trying to find secrets uh, to, to defeating the Sith, but also to seeking out his own revenge. I mean, everything is always driving him to Obi-Wan. Um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's kind of awesome that we get it so perfectly wrapped up in, in this scene from Rebels. So no no comments there. Okay, great. You're both just staring at me. Yeah, okay, I, I, cool. I have nothing to, uh, to add to that. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, well, then let's let's continue into um, some more rebels with, of, of course, the iconic scene of ah Ahsoka taking on Vader, right? So season season one of Rebels ends with Ahsoka being introduced. And then season two immediately opens with Ahsoka sensing Vader's presence in that space battle at the end of the, the premiere of season three 
um, excuse me, season two. Yeah. And then at the end of season two, she, you know, I mean, I think when she was brought back in Rebels, I, I, I know I was, and I imagine many Star Wars fans were like, oh my goodness, is she going to run into Vader? And what's that going to look like? So I was just astounded that we got to see the two of them square off against each other. Um, now, Emily, I know you are a particularly huge Ahsoka fan. Um, so what do you think of this scene? I love this scene so much. Um, it's probably one of my favorite duels in Star Wars, period. Um, I love Ahsoka's fighting style anyway, and I think this duel is her at her best, um, especially the way that she's animated. Like, it's incredibly fluid and graceful, the way that she moves versus, you know, Vader. Um, and it kind of shows how much that, like, she's grown up. And, I mean, her fighting style in Clone Wars is, is absolutely incredible. Um, but, like, you can tell she kept on top of those skills and she, like, make sure she made sure that, like, she's still a good fighter and still improving. But what I love the most is how conflicted Ahsoka is throughout this duel. You know, she starts this duel with saying, I'm going to, I'm going to um, avenge my master to Vader. And, you know, that's when Vader's like, you know, revenge isn't the Jedi way and Ahsoka's I'm no Jedi. But at the end, when the temple doors are closing and Ezra and Kanan get out, but Ahsoka's still in there, um, she says that she's not going to leave him again. She's going to stay behind. You wouldn't stay behind for someone that you hate. If you thought that the temple, you know, if Ahsoka truly thought that the temple was collapsing and that Vader would die there, if she wanted revenge, she wouldn't stay. She'd get the heck out with Kanan and Ezra. Mm. But there's still a part of her that loves Anakin and wants to see him again. And that's what's driving her in the stool more than her revenge. That she wants to save Anakin. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I would say yes, and that's impossible. Um, yes, yeah. we know from the outside perspective how futile it is for Ahsoka to try to save Anakin because we know that she can't. But that's still what's driving her here. Yeah, and it hurts. Yeah. Um... Well, I want to I want to offer a little bit of the other perspective, which, of course, Vader's perspective. Um, you know, I I love the way the scene opens when she shows up, you know, as he's about to strike down Ezra um, and Vader makes the comment. It was foretold that you would be here. So, you know, something I, who foretold it? I wonder. Who do you think? Sidious? Mm-hmm. Palpatine. Probably, right? Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's gotta Palpatine. Be. So, and this is something like I wish we had gotten an opportunity to see um, is it would have been really cool to have seen, um, you know, a moment where Vader tells Palpatine, hey, my apprentice is back. Um, and they have like a moment where he's like, doesn't matter. That was Anakin's apprentice. You're Darth Vader. Kill her. <laughs> you know, she's a threat. Um and uh, but yeah, like I just thought that was really interesting how how Vader kind of points that out that it that this moment was foretold, um, and you know she she says, 
Yeah, I mean, this is such classic Darth Vader, like just like he tells Luke in Return of the Jedi, you know, there is no Anakin, you know, that that name no longer has any meaning for me, um, you know, and he essentially says the same thing to Ahsoka. And then she makes the statement of then I will avenge his death. And Vader's line of, you know, um, revenge is not the, you know, is not the Jedi way. And of course, mm-hmm. she issues that famous line, I am no Jedi. Um, I think that this is, uh, it actually had me thinking about a, a moment, something Greg has talked about a few times when he's been on our show about why he loves Obi-Wan's sacrifice moment in, in A New Hope is that it's kind of the first huge trigger of the fact that Vader doesn't understand everything about the Force like he thinks he does, right? Like he can't fathom that Obi-Wan just disappeared and now he's somehow more powerful than he could possibly imagine. I think when Vader says to Ahsoka, um, revenge is not the Jedi way. Like in a way it's about him having control over her. Like for Vader, he thinks that he still understands her, that he, he has all the power over this relationship, but he is so wrong. Like he doesn't know who Ahsoka is at all anymore. So her, her comeback of, I am, I am no Jedi. I don't think is meant to be this huge statement of like, I don't consider myself a Jedi. It's more about you don't get me. You know, you don't know me anymore. You don't control me. You don't know what motivates me. You don't get me. Um, so I love that that's kind of how the duel fights is typical Vader pretending he just, you know, has control of everything. And then Ahsoka saying, you don't know a thing. <laughs> so uh, I, I just I love the way it starts like that. And I guess my my big question then for the two of you, and, and of course, Jason, I want your thoughts on this. Um, you know, I, I love the moment when she strikes him in the helmet and, you know, breaks a piece of it off. And then we get Matt Lanter's voice, obviously slightly altered to sound a little more like Vader, but he says her name. And, you know, it, it kind of does draw her back. Um, to your point, Emily, then of, you know, she says, I'm not going to leave you this time. And, and. So what is her hope then? Like, I mean, you said she wants to save him, but she must know she can't. So what is she hoping to accomplish um, by staying there? You know, uh, and she keeps she keeps fighting him. You know, we we see the now granted, we don't see the extension of all this until the world between worlds episode in season four. You know, they keep fighting and then Ezra pulls her out. Um, but what is she hoping to accomplish by staying there? Um I mean, she probably has realized she doesn't have the physical prowess to defeat him um, and he's not coming back. So what's what's her hope? Closure. Hmm. I think it's closure. You know, she left him last time at the, at the Jedi Temple. She left the order. She left Anakin. And that, um, you know, that I think haunts her. Uh, especially even more so now that she's figured out that Anakin is Vader Mm. because her mind goes to, if I hadn't left, could I have stopped that from happening? So the reason she stays in my opinion is, you know, she's going to try. She's going to do everything she can to bring Anakin back. Obviously, She's not the person to do that, but it's, it's there for closure. It's there to prove a point that she's not going to leave Anakin again. 
And maybe someone else will be able to save Anakin, you know, after after she's made this this gesture. But of course, then the the decision is changed for her um, by by Ezra a couple years later. Um, But it's a it's a great duel. It's a great fight. And again, Ahsoka and, and Vader's emotions are all over the place. Ahsoka in particular, as she, you know, goes to confront who she suspects knows but doesn't want to admit is her master. He then denies it. And so she takes him at his word, uh, you know, for the sake of this conflict. Uh, and then when his face is revealed, everything changes. She, she's not, you know, she's back to Anakin. It's Anakin now. It's not Vader anymore. And, you know, she is a bit like Luke in this situation. Um, you know, as you're talking and I'm sorry to interject, but I just, I was just th- thinking this is I, I, I would say Vader doesn't have any emotion for her at all. I don't think he's in no. any way conflicted in this moment. And um, so one thing I remember when this episode came out and like originally, right. We don't, we don't get a clear ending to how the the fight finishes. Right. Cause like we get, this ending shot of him emerging from the rubble, all battered, but obviously alive. And then we get this weird shot of her seeming to descend into some cave, which made no sense. And I remember being really annoyed when it first came out because I was like, I think he should have killed her. And not because I don't love Ahsoka, but because I think it was important for Vader's character just to be like, yeah, he's totally done with that. But I think at the end of the day, that is what happened. It doesn't matter if she physically died at his hand or not right like the temple clearly just blew up before he could finish her off but i would argue for vader she means nothing to him in this moment and i think like nothing shakes vader until luke skywalker luke skywalker is the first thing to shake him and the reason for that is because luke skywalker is the child of padme ahsoka is his former Jedi apprentice. He wants nothing to do with the Jedi. He hates the Jedi, right? He blames them for part of the reason Padme dies. So Ahsoka, I would almost argue, is she is a part of his past that is still painful, that he has hatred for. So Ahsoka is easy to still hate. But Luke Skywalker, the son of Padme, oh, he can't hate him, you know, because he still loves Padme. But because Ahsoka was his Jedi apprentice and he hates the Jedi... I think in a in an interesting way, Ahsoka, I mean, we all know this obviously as an audience, she's not the one to get through to him, but she is so not the one to get through to him because she represents a part of his life that he still hates, um, is what I would argue. You're probably, you know, not too far off the mark. And I think Vader is, you know, the only emotion that he has in this battle is to toy with her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he knows who she is, you know, obviously, uh, and he's he's using their history against her. Um, and I think that's the only real sort of emotion that he's drawing off is to is to. Uh, what's the word? Torture, you know, a little bit emotionally torture her a bit uh, in order to get under her skin and to try and kill her. So I think deep down it might hurt, 
but that pain fuels his rage. Mm-hmm. And it might be one of the things that it'll hurt later, like when he's meditating, but he'll just turn, turn that into more hate. Um, and it's not going to like change the needle at all for mm-hmm. Vader. Yeah. Yeah. What are your thoughts, Emily? Sorry. We just talked a lot. <laughs> no, that's fine. Um, I, I, I don't think that there's any moment where Vader is conflicted. Um, but I do think with regards to Ahsoka, I do agree that I don't think she believes she can turn him, but she's going to try anyway hmm. because she loves Anakin so much. That's her brother. Like, that's what she calls him in Season 7 of Clone Wars. She learned to fight from her brother, or flyer mechanics, I don't remember. She learned from her brother. I have an older brother. He's amazing. I love him. <laughs> And I could not imagine fighting with him like a Sodoka invader have to fight. Absolutely not. Um, That's her brother. And even if she objectively knows she can't bring him back, she's damn well going to try anyway. Because she loves him so much. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're (laughs) you're spot on there. Um. Yeah, I, I, uh, it's just, it's so good. Yeah. I think, I think that's just such, such a glaring question. And, and, and for anybody listening to, um, cause I think there's no right answer. Uh, just anybody that's listening right now, what, I mean, so curious what you, if you have a strong opinion as to what is Ahsoka really hoping to accomplish by staying, we'd love to hear it. But I mean, and I'm not saying that because yours is wrong, Emily. I think you're. You're so spot on. I I don't really have a response other than I think, yeah, I think you're absolutely right, Emily. I think it is in whatever way she can, she's just going to stay with him, whatever that means, you know, because like that's what she says is like this time I won't leave you. Um, So, I mean, she's not going to clearly she's not going to just stand there, though, and let him cut her down because she does because he comes and attacks her again and she defends herself. Um, But, you know, like, yeah, she's just she's not going to walk away this time. Um. But unfortunately, yeah. he doesn't care. <laughs> so, uh, well, no. we got one moment left. And I know I can speak for myself and Jason that this is our favorite animated moment. Um, it's definitely mine. I don't know if it's your favorite, Jason. I know it's your favorite of what we have on this list. Yes. Um, I don't know where this one falls for you, Emily. up there it's up there okay fair enough (laughs) but of course it is kanan's sacrifice um you know from uh season four of rebels the episode jedi knight um which is i just i love that episode title um it's so oh so perfect um i mean this this moment is probably not probably this is definitely a top five star wars moment for me and this is Movies, books, TV shows, everything. Kanan Sacrifice is definitely in my top five of all-time favorite Star Wars moments. Um, and Jason and I were talking about this when we hopped on earlier about how, like, even just watching the scene in isolation today, um, can't help but cry. Like, <laughs> I watched it a couple times just in isolation. I refuse to watch the whole episode just because I am doing this rewatch, and I, it's only a few episodes away, and I, I, I don't want to spoil that, so I just watched the scene. 
Um, but even in isolation, I watched it three times today and I, I cried every single time. Um, and you know, I mean, I clearly, I'm just going to start this. I hope you don't, you two don't mind. Um, (laughs) I think, uh, uh, I mean, Kanan is definitely my favorite rebels character. He's definitely one of my favorite star Wars characters. Um, and you know, the first thing that obviously stands out to me is of course, Kanan goes out this way. He goes out like a Jedi giving his entire life for the people he loves. Um, and it of course immediately made ring in, ring in my head, that beautiful line, Ryan Johnson gave Rose Tico, which is, this is how we win. Not by fighting what we hate, but saving what we love. Right. Um, for everybody that wants to malign that movie, that, that line is so brilliant. Um, and that's exactly what we see Kanan doing here. He is saving who he loves. Um, and yeah, I mean, there, there are so many things in this scene that fill my heart with tremendous joy. Um, even though it's a sorrowful moment, um, the first thing I want to point out is just the music. The music is stunning. I'm still annoyed we don't have soundtracks for seasons three and four of Rebels because um, there's some incredible music in both of those seasons. And it's such a such a travesty that we don't have those seasons of, of scores. Um, You're here. <laughs> but the uh, that and, and, and I mean, you know, Jason, and I we've talked about this scene in the past, but just I mean, there's like this angelic choir that comes in and it's almost like the force itself steps in and gives Kanan his vision back so that in his closing moments, he can see his family one last time, like fully see them. Uh, I think is absolutely beautiful. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, something I love too, is that the scene kind of opens with, you know, he, he's rescued Hera and they're standing on top of the fuel tank and she finally she finally says, I love you to him. They've never said, I love you to one another throughout the whole show. Um, and in this moment, she says it to him and they kiss, which uh, Emily, correct me if I'm wrong. Is this the only time we actually see them kiss? I mean, we see them hug a lot, but do they ever kiss besides this moment. Do you know? Oh. No, they don't. Okay. Yeah. That's why uh, this, this is the, didn't they fake a kiss in like an alley to like hide from guards or something. They faked a kiss, but uh, personally, I don't really count that like for yeah. their relationship. Um, but uh, this is the first time that they kiss as a romantic pairing, as two people that are interested in each other. Yeah, mm, yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, I I love that as she confesses her love and she kisses him for the first time, really on 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 the show. Then we have Sabine and Ezra show up with the little cruiser and the light literally is, I mean, they're literally standing in the light. Their love has been brought to the light. And then what happens with something like the empire when, when love is finally broadcast, they kill it. That's what the empire does is they kill love. They kill expressions of love. That's what the empire is all about. Um, it, 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 and that makes me think one of my favorite lines in the a new hope radio drama is after Alderaan's been destroyed, Leia says, you are at war with life itself. She says that to Grand Moff Tarkin in the A New Hope uh, radio drama. And again, this scene just reminds me of that. Is anytime the Empire sees authentic expressions of love, their reaction, got to destroy it. <laughs> Can't have that. <laughs> um, much like tyrannical powers in our own world. Um, but that aside, when they're standing there together, Hera is also holding her uh, it, it's Calicori. Is that how you say it? 
Yeah. Um, so which Kanan helped her recover. And that just really struck me too. Cause I, again, rebels is very fresh in my head as I've been rewatching and, and remembering what that piece means. This is Hera's story. This is her heritage. Kanan wants to even protect that. Like he gives that back to her. Um, you know, and there's just something so beautiful about Kanan really wants this story to keep going, even if he can't be part of it, you know, cause that's, that's what love is, is love wants to keep, keep life going, even if it means giving up your own. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's so perfect to me. And, you know, when Rebels started and we met all of these characters, none of whom we ever saw in the original trilogy, which of course we didn't because George never thought of this back then. Um, but that said, like we strongly suspected that not all of these characters were going to make it out. Most especially probably Kanan and Ezra, right? Like the fact that there's these two Jedi running around and they're not around come the time of A New Hope. There was a good bet that they weren't going to make it out. And even still, like, I mean, oh, I, Jason, I know you will attest to this as well. When I saw that episode the first time, I don't think I don't think I've ever cried that hard from really anything. <laughs> I, I was surprised how hard I cried. Um, but I just I love Kanan so much. And and also, like, you know, you you pointed this out, Jason, with the Satine and Obi-Wan moment, the, the animation the animation here too of of Hera when her eyes just go wide and she screams Kanan, um, it's just so heartbreaking. You know, it's like they're they're finally coming into this beautiful life together. They're, they're living completely in the open now, in, in in so many senses of that word, and it's immediately robbed from them. I mean, that's that's just what's so heartbreaking, right? I mean, I think that's why a lot of people were really upset with what happened at the end of Episode Nine, right? Like. Ben and Ray finally are together and then boom, he's gone, <laughs> you know? Um, so there's, there's a lot of that reality to it too. Um, so yeah, I, I talked a lot. You too feel free, <laughs> free to start weighing in. Do you want to go first or should I go first? You talk first. I talk first. <laughs> I can talk first. Okay. Um, I, I love rebels. What strikes me is that how much of Kanan's family is here at the end. Because, yes, it's his relationship with Hera, but it's also his kids. Ezra's right there, and Sabine is right there. The only one from the crew that's missing is Zeb. I don't remember what he's off doing, but he's probably doing something important. Um, And it's all of Kanan's family right here at the time that he passes. And it hurts so much. There's, you know, you've talked about the music, Carl. There's one point um, where there's like this high female voice at the same time that it cuts to Hera mm. basically screaming. Yeah. And like the way that the music is cut with the animation, that note basically like sounds like Hera's screaming for Kanan. And that's the moment where it hits me, mm. like right in the feels of like hurting. In the good, you know, cathartic way. Um, I think my favorite thing about that scene that they almost do in reverse is it's a trilogy of sacrifices that are all parallels. So we don't get this into a bad batch, but visually um, that's set up um, Kanan's master. She force pushes him away 
and dies by the clones. And then Kanan force pushes Ezra and um, Ezra and Hera away and dies. Thankfully, Ezra doesn't die, but essentially he does something similar when he makes his sacrifice in the next episode or two episodes. I don't. I consider that whole like series finale one block of episodes. He essentially does the same thing of he pushes his family away and makes his sacrifice. And it's incredible how visually they set it up through all three of these characters. It's absolutely beautiful. Hmm. I never noticed that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's true. You're, you're not wrong. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to, to process that later. Um, <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah, but what what I will say about you know what hurts so much about this scene is you know obviously the fact that uh, you know Hera and Kanan are finally coming to the point where you know Kanan is is fully embracing his role as a Jedi now. Uh, and Hera is not letting the war and the rebellion get in the way of them anymore. And, you know, they have that moment. There's the, the funny bit where Ezra and Sabine interrupt it. And they're getting ready to just fly off into the sunset. And then it's just all, all ripped. So heartbreakingly away from them. Um, you know, the, you know, the shot of, you know, Kanan standing there holding the explosion back is just, it's phenomenal. And the fact that, you know, I don't know if Hera thinks that she's going to try and just pull Kanan out when she runs to him, or if she just doesn't want to leave him. Um, you know, I I don't even think she knows what she's doing fully in that moment. I think she's just reacting. Um, the only one who is thinking clearly about it all is 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 Kanan because it's all coming clear now. You know, his purpose, what he's supposed to do here, and that's to safeguard them, his family, and. I love the fact that, you know, obviously right before uh, he and, and Ezra went with Ahsoka um, to, you know, try and get the, the Sith holocron and fought Maul and Vader and he lost his sight right before they left. He, he tells Hera, I'll see you again. Hmm. And here at the end, his eyes clear. He regains his sight and he does. He sees her again. And that just gets me every time. Like, I don't... I, ugh. And I think... Yeah, and me just hearing you talk about it. <laughs> I know! <laughs> and I think seeing his eyes clear is what part of what stops Hera. Um, because she sees everything she needs to in that moment and what she sees what Kanan needs her to see in that moment. Um, 
and then he's able to let the explosion go and push them all away. And that shot of the ship just rocketing off from his push and the explosion just coming over the camera from his point of view is, ugh, mm. it's exquisitely shot. This scene, you know, from the visuals, the music to the voice acting, everything it is, it is, you know, if you're going to pick one moment from this show to be sort of Oscar worthy, it would be <laughs> this, um, you know, I, I don't have much else to say because if I do, I'm going to start making myself cry. Um, so we're going to, we're going to stop well, that now. <laughs> well, something I also think is worth noting is, and just sitting here listening to you talk more about the, both of you talk more about it. Something I find kind of striking is, and, and I think this a lot of the times when I watch the scene, but I quickly forget about this thought because then I'm just overcome with tears. <laughs> um, but think about how just kind of inconsequential in a way this moment is, right? Like this isn't Kanan being struck down by Darth Vader, Lord of the Sith, or an Inquisitor. Like this is just something goes boom and he, and, and that's how he goes. And it's not, and I don't mean that in the sense of like, this isn't a big moment and what he what he does isn't massively important, but it is, it just, it's so sudden kind of to the point you were making Jason, right? Like it, it's this beautiful moment of like, they're all coming back together. Everything seems like they're in the clear. And then boom, it just, everything falls apart. So, so quickly. Right. And you know, to that point you made Jason, it's Kanan just immediately springs into action. He knows exactly what he needs to do, right? There's no moment of hesitation. He's not going to let Hera come and try to pull him out because that just means that they'll all die. Um, you know, like he immediately knows what he needs to do here. Um, again, peace and purpose. Like he's at peace with his purpose. Um, and I just like, I kind of appreciate it that it's not Kanan being defeated by a boss, <laughs> you know, like thinking of it in like a video game language. This is Kanan mm -hmm. just kind of being a victim of the war. Right. Like it's just it, it's kind of this happenstance thing that uh, that makes everything go awry. And frankly, I kind of appreciate that because with the Star Wars saga, with everything always needing to be so big and bombastic, there's something very mundane in this moment that I think gives it even more beauty. Um, like is, the Rogue One characters? No, false. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, that's the one thing about Rogue One that is amazing is the way the characters go. So. That's a conversation for another day. <laughs> yeah. um, is, is, yeah, this, uh, is this way, the way that Kanan goes, is this the Star Wars version of Happily Ever After, except he gets hit crossing the street? But, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think you might yeah. be right. Yeah. Yeah. You walk except, out of the church on your uh, wedding day and get hit by a car. Yeah, except it's done better than any of those tropes have ever been done before. Or will ever be done again. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone else needs to stop trying. Kanan already did it the best. Right. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, that, yeah. So, just just as a silly point to kind of counter all the emotion of of this moment, do either of you find it interesting that after Kanan is blinded at the end of season two, he never really seems to have a problem seeing? <laughs> 
I mean, there's a there's a little bit at the beginning of season three, like obviously his work with the Bendu, the Bendu helps him, you know, is, is see beyond just physical sight. But it just like he's running around being regular old action hero Kanan for the rest of season three and four. <laughs> Again, like it's fine. I'm just I'm just being silly here. But like, don't you find it interesting that like him being blinded really doesn't have longstanding repercussions for him? <laughs> I mean, I mean, it's, it's a cartoon, know. but like. So. <laughs> Uh, I, know, I, I don't other care. Characters that have done it, like Chirrut, you know. Um, that's true. But Chirrut was, seems like, I, oh, I guess I don't know for sure, but I just suspected that Chirrut was born blind. So I feel like it's just a little different. Um, but no, although, I, to, I don't know if that, that's not been established, I don't think. Yeah, it hasn't. So I, uh, I could uh, be right. <laughs> I don't think it's been established. I know he was blind in the um, young adult novel about um Yeah, but that, yeah, that also only takes place like, I think like a year before Rogue One, so that's not helpful. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But no, but I think there were some other, like some flashbacks or or um, base talks about like when they were um, in in their little order. Um, I think base had talked about that sure it was blind even then. Okay. When they're both guardians. And again, like I bring it up just to be as a, as a point of being silly. I mean, there's no reason to think Kanan, especially as a Jedi, like can't learn to rely on other senses. I mean, look at Matt Murdock as Daredevil. He did it. Um, so, exactly. Just, I, just, some, like, I just toxic like, acid that helped him with that, if I remember right? Some kind of toxic sludge? What? What'd you say? Uh, didn't Matt Murdock also have some like toxic sludge that helped him with that? Or is that just what made him blind? That's what made him blind. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, I mean, I just I only bring that up because I just like as I was watching through season three, I'm like, wow, his blindness like that was addressed like those first couple episodes. But boy, he's just fine now. <laughs> so um, you get used to it. But yeah, no, yeah, exactly. And, and I think like, twenty two minutes an episode. <laughs> well, I think what's interesting is like as season three goes on, like right, like he he wears the that kind of like face shield um, and as he becomes more comfortable in his skin, like he eventually removes it, right? Like in that moment, he's not wearing it. He doesn't wear it for much of season four. He doesn't need the face shield anymore. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, I think they're like the tremendous payoff of the fact that he had gone blind is that beautiful moment of him getting his vision completely restored right before he goes. Um, so, Oh, what a moment. Um, so as we, as we finish up, like as, as of this recording, um, this moment is up against the death of Satine and it is handedly winning both on our Instagram and Twitter. Um, it is a very close fight right now between the uh, Anakin or excuse me, the Ahsoka Vader fight. And then the twin sons fight, the Ahsoka Vader fight has a slight edge. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to ask the the two of you right now. Which one do you think is going to go the distance? What is, what is going to be the winner of this year's This Is Madness? Just be happy that the final is going to be two Rebels moments. Yeah, definitely <laughs> is going to be two Rebels moments. There's no question there. It uh-huh. is. Um, I, I'm. Mm, it's. I think. Sorry. I think it's going to depend on which duel wins. Yeah. Because if it's going to be. Twin Sons, I think, and I love both those moments, and that's going to be the worst matchup for me because that's both of what I voted for today. Um, if it's going to be Twin Sons, I think Kane and Sacrifice can probably beat it. 
fairly well. If it's going to be Ahsoka versus Vader, I think that's that. I think that one would be closer because Kane's sacrifice is such a heavily emotional scene, but Ahsoka is such a fan favorite character. Yeah. 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 That one. That one will depend. You know, if it stays the way it is right now, um, it will depend on who shows up to vote. You know, <laughs> is that true of every election? Because, <laughs> right. Exactly. You know, it, um, it's so close that I can't call a winner. I know who I'm voting for. Um, you know, the only, you know, animated scene that's made me cry. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's what I'm voting for. But I will be happy, you know, with with, with whichever one wins. Uh, but the Ahsoka Vader duel, like Emily said, Ahsoka is such a fan favorite. And that so is Darth Vader. That, that's, yes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know. That that scene carries a lot of weight on its own, you know, in general. But I don't know. Maybe if you have it up against these two scenes, people will second guess, think twice. I don't know. I'm yeah. just speculating now. What do you think? Well, the, listening to the two of you, I was totally wrong because I was like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty sure Kanan's going to win this. Um, I mean, that's where, that's where my vote's going, as you probably evidence from the episode, how much I love this moment. Um I mean that that is my favorite animated moment period so it was going to be my that was going to be my pick from day 1 um but I, you know I, I hearing both of you speak so like when Emily you were talking I was like oh actually I feel like if twin sons wins Kanan will easily beat um will actually lose to that one but I think he could easily beat Vader versus Ahsoka but then Jason your point is dead on like those are two fan favorites I I feel like either one of those duels could beat Kanan's sacrifice so I don't know. We'll we'll find out Thursday because that's when I'm posting it. <laughs> so there we go. Um, All right. You heard it here first. That's our predictions. Wait, no. Who did, wait, who did you predict? Exclusive. Who did you uh, predict, Jason? What? Who did you predict? I didn't. I yeah, just said did these are our predictions. They're inconclusive. So <laughs> well, no, no, that's not how this works. We all yeah, pretty much. This is like this is like you know Sunday morning quarterback. We all got to pick our team. Who's going to win? Emily, who do you think wins this? I mean, you can't. It doesn't matter. Say Cain and sacrifice. You're going to pick Cain and sacrifice. I'm going to pick Cain and sacrifice. I based on like your fandom and who's been following y'all for all yeah. of this. My guess is going to be. Kane and Sacrifice. I don't know what I'm voting for yet because I love Kane and Sacrifice. I love Ahsoka versus Vader, and I love Twin Sons. So I'm going to be very conflicted all day on Thursday. <laughs> all right, but you're saying Kane and Sacrifice. What do you? I think I think that's what the end result of this is going to be. Is, okay. is Kane and Sacrifice. By you, Jason. All right, I'm going to be contrarian. Yeah, I'm not voting for Kane and Sacrifice, but I think uh, Ahsoka versus Vader will win. Yeah, uh, I, I actually listening to both of you talk about this. I actually have to pick with you, Jason. I think it's going to be ah- Ahsoka Vader. It's certainly not my pick. I mean, I love it, but it's not my pick. But yeah, I think that's I think that's going to be the one that'll that'll take it. It's it's one handedly in almost all of its matchup, and it's and it's gone up against some big moments. Um, but I will say, Kanan. I mean, we we purposely put some really tough ones in the first round against each other, and Kanan's sacrifice beat out Ahsoka leaves from the Jedi. Um, and yeah. more of a margin yeah. than I was expecting. So yeah, that surprised me. Yeah, that surprised me. Like it wasn't a blow. And I know. But... I know. If I'm, I'm 
not 100% sure about this because I'm not my younger brother, but every time that um, Kanan's sacrifice has gone up against another um, matchup, my younger brother and I have been texting about this um, all month. He's always like, of course it's going to be Kanan's sacrifice, of course it's going to be Kanan's sacrifice. So I know what my younger brother's voting for. <laughs> He's going with Kanan's sacrifice. I mean, it's it's a damn good moment. <laughs> it is. It's a damn good moment. It is. All right, well... It'll all be decided by the end of the week, folks. So be sure to keep an eye on our Instagram and our Twitter to keep voting because um, it's exciting. Oh, I'm so excited to see how this is going to turn out. Yeah. All right. Well, Carl. Yes. If people want to weigh in on any of our discussion points that we talked about or people want to, you know, as I said, continue to vote. In our This Is Madness tournament, where can they do that? Well, we're on Twitter at Wampas Lair, uh, on Instagram at The Wampas Lair, and you can email us at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com. And Emily, thank you again for helping to not only build the bracket with me, but also being on to talk about animated Star Wars at the start of the month and talking about these top moments with us at the end of the month. If folks want to stay in touch with you or anything or get your random musings on Star Wars, where could they do that? You can find me on Twitter at, at the Ace Jedi. Um, Lego Star Wars comes out in two weeks, and I am going to be all over that for sure. Amazing. I'm very excited for that. I'm so excited for that. <laughs> all right. Anything else before we close down this episode? Well, let's, Thank let's you for having me again, guys. Yeah, I thanks. always love being on. Thanks for being on again, Emily. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to wrap up this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 460, Your Top Animated Moments. For Carl and, and Emily, I'm Jason. And we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. <laughs>